This morning's message title is The Holy Spirit and Lasting Growth. A little subtitle, How the Spirit Grows Your Life. And I want us to look here in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And it reads the following, The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is, everybody say the next word is what? Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, and we truly do, there's true life in the Spirit. Hey, let us also walk in the, can someone tell me, Spirit. Okay, you may have a seat at this time. Well, I want us to focus in basically on verse 22 and verse 23. I mean, basically two verses uh, this morning because Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and verse 23 is about Christian growth. And there is no growth as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, what is a Christian? Well, a Christian has relationship with God in Christ. A Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who is growing to uh, maturity or growing in maturity more like Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing, kind of a newsflash. Um, there's only one person in the entire universe who could live the life uh, of Jesus, and that's Jesus himself. So if we're going to grow more like Christ as Christians, the source of our strength needs to be the Lord himself. How many of you are tracking so far with that? That's a very important distinction. And would you believe it that the very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead indwells every Christian? So we have this incredible, unique source of strength. We have been born again of divine DNA, the Lord's presence literally living inside of us. And we've studied that and we've looked at it in depth and so forth. But the emphasis this morning is the Holy Spirit and growth and lasting growth. And we actually learn like five implications on how the Spirit grows our life in Jesus Christ from actually these two verses. We learn this is from being illustrated by, um, well, a botanical illustration, right? Saying that Christian growth is, is like growing fruit. You know, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, that Christian growth is like growing fruit. So what Paul does is he uses this botanical illustration for which we, we, we learn a bunch of implications on what Christian growth looks like. And we're going to break it down. But let me just say this. This is actually not the first time that you have in the Scriptures botanic, a botanical illustration. Because I think of our Lord who said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And it's like, hey, there's no life in the branches unless it's connected to the vine. Unless one has relationship with Almighty God in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what he's saying. Look, I am the vine, you are the branches. There's no life outside of me, Jesus is saying, as God intended it. You can't bear fruit as God intended uh, your life to bear fruit and to be lived without being connected to the source, which is the Lord himself. So he used 
a botanical illustration. I think of Peter who spoke of eternal seed having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. I think of Psalm 1-2. He shall be like a tree, the Bible says, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Now, here's what we'll learn from this passage as Paul decides to use a botanical, organic metaphor. We're going to learn five things about growth with regard to the work of the Spirit in our life. I think we have it up on the screen, and it's actually in, uh, on your notes as well, okay? And, and this is it's kind of a long sentence, and, uh, but it captures where we're going. It actually captures our outline for this morning, and that is the transforming growth in a Christian's life by the Holy Spirit is what's, what? Is what? Powerful. We're going to talk about that. That's the point, point number one. It's powerful. It's also gradual. It's also gradual. It's like, we don't necessarily like, can see, like watch growth take place in the moment in our life. I mean, there are spurts of growth. There's no doubt about it. But the growth of God's Spirit in our life is gradual. It's like, Bearing fruit, you know? It, and yet, it's inevitable because it's internally organic and produces a dynamic divine love. Now, I don't, I don't expect you to completely wrap your minds around that, but where we're going with it is we're going to learn that Christian growth is powerful, gradual, it's inevitable, it's internal, uh, it is it is dynamic or even symmetrical, which we'll explain a little bit. But before we get to that, I want you to look, please, with me back at verse 22, because I really want us to get a sense of what he's saying. I kind of want to break the soil of this passage. And just look at the term fruit there. Okay? I mean, fruit is organic. It's living, right? And by nature, fruit has living DNA. Like, what's your favorite fruit? Mine, I love peaches. They're awesome. Right? Well, a, a peach is living. A peach is beautiful. It's organic. Right? And it also has inherent within it life-giving properties. Now, watch this. It tells us in verse 22, the fruit, so it's something organic, it's something living, of the, can someone tell me, spirit. Oh, well, the spirit being referenced to there is the Lord who indwells a Christian. Now, he doesn't say the machine of the Spirit. Um, that's something purely material, non-organic, non-living. He doesn't say the idea of the Spirit. He doesn't say the logic of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about something that's living, something that's organic, something that has within itself um, life-giving properties. And the idea has to do with what the life of the Spirit is and what the Spirit actually produces in a Christian's life. And what the Lord produces is something organic and living and beautiful, something life-giving, dynamic, even symmetrical, this, this kind of beautiful balance, as we're going to be t addressing in a little bit, and that has all of these parts to it, but they're interdependent with one another. Now, now, look at verse 22. Just kind of massaging this, and then we're going to talk about our main points and stuff. Okay, so we're talking fruit, something living, of the Spirit. 
We're talking about the manifestations of the Lord in our life, His life in our life. Now, this is kind of a trick question. You're looking at verse 22. If I were to ask you, how many fruits are identified in verse 22 and verse 23, you might say, okay, well, there's love. That's one, two, uh, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think there's nine fruits. No, there's actually one fruit being mentioned here. Notice the subject is singular. And an inherent with this fruit that's being addressed is like, well, you could call it nine graces that actually work together as a unit, as we're going to be noting in just a little bit. And most commentators of ancient and of a more modern would say that what is being identified here is the fruit of love that has various facets to it. I mean, what we're, we have here is like what, what love is and what love looks like. And actually, you can't have love without joy. And you can't have joy without self-control. And you can't have self-control without patience. And you can't have patience without kindness. We're going to learn a little bit. It's, it's, it's just phenomenal. They actually all work hand in glove. So the subject is singular. The predicate is plural. You know, you know maybe Paul's Hebrew teacher or something is turning over in his grave thinking, Paul, what are you doing here? He knows exactly what he's doing, actually. The life of the Holy Spirit are these nine grace realities that are a unit which make up the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the thing. If the Lord indwells a person, okay, like internally, right? This, like there's this inter- eternal divine seed, if you will, using a metaphor, that indwells a person, guaranteed there will be growth. Guarantee it. Because it's living. Because He's living. Because you're one with Christ. You're one with the Father and the Lord Jesus. Okay? So let's break this down. Let's, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit brings growth to our lives. First of all, okay, I would just say it, um, the life of the Spirit is incredibly powerful. And you say, well, you know, if you think of a peach tree, you don't think necessarily of power. So, you know, maybe you're thinking, Greg, where do you get that? Well, in order for fruit to actually be on a tree, there needs to, there needs to, there needs to have been growth. I mean, a tree needs to have grown. Uh, the, the seed that contains all of its DNA has to have awakened. There has to have been kind of a death and resurrection, it may be said. I mean, that complex DNA of the seed that makes up the tree, that grows, that then makes up fruit, has to have had a beginning, right? You guys tracking with me on that? That's right. has to have had a beginning. And... When it did, it was incredibly powerful. In fact, it could be said in the life of that tree, once it was conceived in the ground, once that DNA came alive, that was, that was the greatest change that took place biologically in that, in that living organism. I mean, it's similar to our life. You know, scientists will say the greatest change in your life is not when you graduated. Or when you got married, I mean, those are significant changes. But it was actually when we were conceived in the womb. That's the greatest change in a human's life is at conception. And similarly, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus, it could be said all the fruit of the Spirit was like planted inside you in seed form. And then there's this process of of growth. And it's really a process of a lifetime. 
And we talked a little bit about that last week. And we're going to talk a little bit about it today as well. But it's almost like, well, when you receive Christ, as we made mention of it last week, it's like you have all of him. I mean, he, you have his love. I mean, you're locked in his favor. You're locked in relationship with him. Um, it, it's something that you didn't merit. It's, uh, it, it was something that was freely given to you. Salvation is a gift. You receive it. He takes residence in your life. You have his love. You have your ticket to heaven. You have this guarantee. He creates everything new in himself. Um, and, and the process then that starts is this, well, my mind and my life starts to wrap around those realities and I grow into uh, my position that's in Jesus Christ that's already been established. And yet, well, botanical growth or Christian growth is, is powerful. Um, it's actually, and this is the point number two, it's gradual. And when I say gradual, this is not to suggest that there are not growth spurts in a Christian's life. But in general, growth is gradual. It's not something that we necessarily see or feel, you know? Um, you know your 12-year-old son is growing. Uh, and we might even say, my goodness, you're growing before my very eyes. But we don't say that like concretely or literally. It's because we haven't maybe seen him for a while. A week or so, we came back and said, oh my goodness gracious, I, I can tell you're growing. But I don't think any of us have looked at another human being and just seen them actually grow in front of them. That'd be a little freaky, wouldn't it? Right? So generally, you don't see or, or even feel growth, but it's taking place. On the other hand, I mean, I can't tell you how many times our kids have come down, you know, as they were growing up, come down the stairs and you look at them and think, my goodness gracious, you are growing. But it's not necessarily something that I'm seeing before my very eyes. But hear this, Christian growth... Though it's gradual, it's clearly measurable. And more often, it's measurable when it's tested. And there's like two big tests that we face. One is when our lives are taken out of our comfort zone. It's called a trial. And when you're in a trial, whether it's physical, financial, whatever it may be, circumstantial, the natural tendency is you want to get out of it. You want to bail. I mean, who wants to be uncomfortable, you know? You just want to get off the plane. How many of you kind of know what I'm talking about there, right? Yeah, that's the natural tendency. I just want to bail, okay? So a trial is basically when we are taken out of our comfort zone, and the Bible speaks of falling into trials. And, and what the Lord wants us to do is He actually wants us to remain under the pressure of the trial rather than bailing on godly attitude, or bailing on the Lord, or bailing on our loved ones, or bailing on faith. I'll tell you, one of the ways you can tell there's growth is when you do face trials, and you realize, you know what? Um, gosh, I used to freak out over that, to be frank with you. My mind used to race. I used to just bail, and I used to just, like, you know, spin out. And rather than being drawn to the Lord, it's almost like I would run away from Him and things. Um, but now I see I have more patience in things. And, you know, it's, and that person, you know, that bugs me or something uh, doesn't evoke bitterness, but now empathy and prayer and so forth. So Christian growth is powerful, but gradual, and yet it's measurable. 
and generally measurable under trials and even temptations, which is an enticement to sin. And yet, you, as a believer, you begin to recognize, you know, I'm not going to give room to this. And this clearly has a hook in it, and I'm going to turn away from it. I mean, these tests bring out measurable growth in our life. So Christian growth is powerful, but gradual. And yet, hey, it's inevitable, actually, because the Holy Spirit is the Lord who is living inside of you. And remember, we're talking something that is organic. The source of our strength and the source of our life is the Lord himself. So therefore, while the work of the Spirit is powerful, bringing me into right relationship with God. The growth is gradual, but it is inevitable. Inevitable. You know, G. Campbell Morgan, one of the great Bible teachers some hundred years ago, great Bible expositors, told a story about a man who made arrangements to have a thousand-pound marble slab put over his grave. Well, this, I mean, it's a true story, and it's somewhere, you know, in Italy and things. But today, if you go to his grave, it's been split because a tree grew near it, and, you know, the roots kind of pushed up this marble slab. But, it, but if there was a time that you could just put that thousand-pound slab next to a little acorn, you know, that would grow into an oak, I mean, that thousand-pound slab would overcome that little acorn, you know, all, you know all, all the time in that state, when it's small like that. But because it's organic, because... Uh, it awakens, you know, its DNA and grows and grows and grows. It's going to end up, you know, conquering that thousand pound marble slab every single time. Now, listen, if botanical growth has that much power, how much more the Holy Spirit? Because we're talking about the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And it reminds us that you cannot actually know that you're a Christian, really, unless there is change in your life. Because the reality is, is that when the Lord takes residence in your life, though growth is gradual, yes, there are seasons where there's like significant growth, but generally it's gradual. And growing more like the Lord Jesus and in faith and in love and in patience, the fruit of the Spirit. It's gradual. Okay? But it's inevitable. And, and therefore, you know, if there's not change taking place, it, I should question, um, golly, is there some sin in my life that I need to confess and turn from? Or should I even examine whether or not I've experienced the source of the Lord himself because we're talking about once he takes residence in our life, well, we're talking about himself. He, he's, in, he's living inside of us. We have been born of divine DNA, and therefore the growth will be inevitable. We're not saved by fruit, but fruit is produced by those who've experienced this love rescue, so to speak, of God's love. And this means, therefore, you know, if, gosh, if some guy's still sleeping with his girlfriend and he's claiming to be a believer, um, that's a problem there. Or if you remain abrasive and can never seem to get along with people, you're unloving or maybe always getting your feelings hurt and you have to move from one place to another. Or you have this secret sin that you haven't confessed and haven't overcome. Um, that, that's troubling. That's, I, I, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian. 
But what I am saying is this, that when someone is born of the Holy Spirit, inevitably there is going to be growth, you see. I guarantee it. There's going to be growth from the inside out. And I'm also not suggesting, by the way, that any of us, you know, with this inevitable growth, are going to reach full maturity in this lifetime because we're not. Uh, One day we're going to be with the Lord and we're going to be in a glorified state and that's where we're going to experience ultimate full maturity in the Lord Jesus. But the point I simply want to make is, is that the Holy Spirit... What? He brings the life of Almighty God in our lives. And it's organic and it's living and, and it's powerful and the growth is gradual. And, and, and yet it is inevitable and it's inevitable. It kind of leads to the fourth point because it's organically internal, actually. The Lord is in our life, growing us from the out, inside out. And in fact... You know, one of the signs of the Holy Spirit and lasting growth, the Holy Spirit and, and, and Christian growth, the Holy Spirit and, and the life of God in our life, growing more like the Lord Jesus, is actually there's going to be a desire to grow. Um, when you're alive, uh, there's hunger. Uh, you know, I mean, I was so blessed to be able to witness the birth of four of our children. And, you know, it's, it's a good sign when that child is born and they're hungry, right? And basically, they want their mom and nothing else or no one else. They want mom. They want the milk of their mother. Well, similarly, Peter wrote 1 Peter 2, 2, desire the sincere milk of the word. It's indicative of someone who is alive spiritually who has relationship with the Lord, there's going to be a desire to want to grow. Kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but bear with me for a second, okay? I mean, okay, the fruit of the Spirit, organic. The Spirit, we're talking the Lord Himself. Um, Nine grace realities. Actually, it's true, but it's like one fruit. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. Later on, Paul writes, okay, you, you live in the Spirit are we, as believers. Yeah, and life is in the Spirit. I mean, real life is right relationship with the Lord. Therefore, walk in the Spirit. And, you know, it's like live it. Pursue godliness in one's life. And there's going to be a desire to do that, you see. You know, Paul said, for it is God who works in you, actually, both to do His will and to work for His good pleasure. Hey, it's possible to have a form of godliness. We all know this. But it's not truly internal. You know, if Martin Luther and John Wesley were here, guys that the Lord really used in a big way, they would both have a story in their life that there was, I'm going to say it this way, mechanical growth. Uh, There was discipline. They were doing good things. But both of them would tell you there was a time that they were not growing internally. It wasn't from the inside out. It wasn't organic, if you will. And finally, the fifth point is, is that this lasting growth is very dynamic and even symmetrical, which is a big term. You know, the great Jonathan Edwards, who led his class at Yale in the 1700s, he became the president of Princeton. When studying this passage, he used the word concatenation. 
uh, in identifying the fruit of the Spirit, these nine re- realities, but actually, actually it's one fruit. And these nine realities are a concatenation, which carries the idea that they're realities that are linked together. And they work hand in glove with one another, actually. A loose translation is, but the single fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, in this way, Christianity is like symmetrical. It has an incredible balance. It's not a patch job. It's not like, oh man, I just need a little patience. Well, actually, I mean, we, we all need patience and stuff, but patience is connected to love, and love is connected to joy, and joy is connected to self-control. And, and, and actually what is being addressed here is not that the Holy Spirit, watch this, brings out natural kind of tendencies or dispositions that we may have. Like some are naturally dispositioned to... Be gentle, if you will. You know, they're naturally dispositioned in that way. But watch this. I can be gentle, and, and, I, and I don't really want to hurt anyone or bum anybody out. Uh, but what's missing, though, is actually courage. What's missing is faithfulness. Um, because here I have this friend or this loved one or whatever, and, and it's like, hey... Um, you know, they're doing something that is self-defeating. And I can be gentle and it's like, you know, I just don't really want to address it or something. But wait a second. The gentleness of the Spirit is, is actually connected to faithfulness and courage as well. And, and it's, it's, it's critical that there's gentleness, but there's also faithfulness. And faithfulness is also self-control, love and joy and so forth. I mean, I, I can be kind. I can be kind to the guy who is late for work, um, and I'm kind because I'm often late to work as well. But the kindness that's being addressed here is actually interrelated with self-control and interrelated with integrity. The fruit of the Spirit is gentle, but it's also faithful and courageous. There's self-control, but there's also joy. And in verse 25 it's a very important distinction. If we live in the Spirit, I mentioned this earlier, then we must walk in the Spirit. In other words, if the Spirit is what rescues us, I mean, just brings the Lord into our life and His love, and we'll kind of break it down, we'll dissect it in just a little bit, kind of rescues us, saves us from death, let us, let us allow that same Spirit, basically Paul is saying, to direct our steps. Look at verse 22. The fruit, singular of the Spirit, is, everybody say it, love. I'll tell you, as I mentioned, commentators both ancient and modern agreed that the fruit of the Spirit identified here is really love. It's the, and it, what, what's being identified is the manifestations of love. This, this chief Christian virtue that's going to last forever, actually, as love never fails. It's eternal. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit is, oh man, it's love. Oh, how we need that. Okay, and, and joy. Oh, that's, that's really important. We're going to break it down a little bit. And peace and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Watch this. Watch this. Okay. Oh, oh man, how important it is then. If that's the case, if the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then it's like dissected in eight other realities, all working interdependent with one another. Oh man, how we need to be being filled with the Spirit. Can I hear an amen to that? Like, well, let's break this down. I'll, I'll tell you why. The word love there, and actually in your notes that we gave you, um, it's probably some of the best definitions on that dissecting of the fruit, and you can take them home. Really, I'm telling you that it, it, what we gave this one is really worth taking a look at. But, but the word for love here is the Greek word agape. And, and I love this succinct definition that it, it is to serve a person for their good and intrinsic value, not for what the person brings you. See, look, here's the thing. Here's the alternative. If I relate to other people, if I, quote, love them and serve them, have a relationship with them, and it's not agape, it's not because, you know what, this is good for you, and I'm going to value you and serve you and honor you and, be, and, and, and bless you because of your intrinsic value as a human being creating the image of God. The alternative is then, watch this, is that I'm loving you, showing you affection or showing you attention as a means to an end. I'm looking for you to meet a need in my life. And, you know, we've all heard of the term codependency, where it's like people are looking for other people to actually meet needs in their life that only God can meet in their life. And if, and if, if you're relating to other people outside of agape, if you're serving them and loving them outside of agape, you're putting an incredible burden on that relationship and on that person that sets the relationship and the interactions on a trajectory that's totally self-defeating. Because you're seeing them really as a means to an end to meet some type of need that you have that really only God can meet in your life. And in that way, love is a rescue in our life. It's a rescue to our marriages, true love is. It's a rescue to our children so that it's like, you know, like I'm Abraham and I'm looking at Isaac and it's like, oh my goodness, he's my identity. I've been looking for it. I just love him so much. I mean, it's just, he loved him too much in a lot of ways. He made him an idol. It's just like, this is my identity, my son. That's an incredible burden to put on a son or a daughter. That you just got to live a life that just meets some type of need that I have. And, I, and, I, and, and that's why I love you. And that's why I relate with you, uh, to you um, in a way I do. So, like, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that's, it's, that's, that's a genuine love. And that's a rescue in and of itself. It's awesome. I mean, and when, what about joy? Well, the Greek word is kara. It's actually greater than happiness. It's a deep-seated sense of well-being that comes from a delight in God and His salvation and the sheer beauty and worth of who He is. The alternative is that my sense of well-being comes from the ebbs and flows of circumstances of what's happening in my life. And let me tell you, that's very difficult to sustain because most of life is mundane. And if you're not winning it, in the mundaneness of life, where you can have a sense of well-being, like the joy of the Lord, um, it's gonna, life is going to be tough. And if, I, if, if my happiness, my sense of well-being is based upon the ebbs and flows of circumstances, everything lining up, meeting my expectations, 
Man, that is impossible actually to sustain and it leads to addictions and all kinds of problems. So in that way, man, the, the fruit of the, of the Spirit is... is and, and, and the Spirit, the Lord Himself, He just he brings life as He intended. And in doing so, it really is this phenomenal rescue that takes place and continues to take place. And what about peace? The, the Greek word is arene. And, and it's a confidence and rest, actually, in the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than your own. I mean, the Lord, like... I just, I just have this peace that he has his hand on me, and it's because he does in Christ. And, 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 he's, and he's like working out all things for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Look, there's something better in life than thinking you're in control. I mean, I think we'd all like, we all like kind of feeling like we're in control in life, right? Do you at least? I do. <laughs> you know, I mean, but there's something better than that. There's... And that is knowing that God is in control and he has your highest good in mind and heart. Can I hear an amen to that? Hey, real quick, patience. That's the ability to take trouble from others or life without bailing. Kindness, um, practical kindness with vulnerability out of deep inner security. Goodness, um, honesty, transparency. Kind of carries the idea of integrity, being in the same in one situ, uh, situation as another, not compartmentalizing your life, not giving a foothold to the enemy, which then leads to a stronghold, faithfulness, loyalty, courage, to be principle-driven, committed, utterly reliable. i got to go through these a little quicker for time. Gentleness, self-forgetfulness, um, to love mercy, to walk humbly before Almighty God, self-control. Oh my goodness. The ability to choose the important thing over the urgent. Oh man. Oh man, thank the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and self-control and patience. Um, and how therefore we need to be, we talked about this last week, we need to be being filled, therefore, don't we? How important it is that like, we recognize, golly, I, I need you, Lord, and your grace and your direction and you to be the king of my life and be on the throne of my life today. Turn with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 5. Just right over to the right. Ephesians chapter 5. I just want to remind you of something that we addressed last week. Good job, guys. Ephesians chapter 5. Remember we addressed this last week, and I just want to tie this in. And the big idea that we drew out from verse 18, which reads, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, chapter 5, verse 18, or, or just waste, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, the big idea, as many of you remember, is... Well, there's a big difference between intoxication and being filled with the Spirit. Um, when you're intoxicated, right? I mean, you know, um, one can know a joy, but that's because their inhibitions have been numbed or minimized. Um, one can know a comfort, but that's because what? They're not really maybe seeing reality for what it is. One can know a courage, um, but that's because they really don't take into account the consequences of their 
Decisions and choices and circumstances. Oh, they're so brazen. They're so courage, uh, courageous and things. But, but look, you're just being foolish. You don't realize, man. You jump off that, you're going to break your neck and stuff. But listen, like also when you're buzzed, when you're intoxicated, you know, there can be a sense of you're feeling, you're feeling good. Maybe a, a type of love you think you're experiencing and knowing. When on the other hand, you see, the Holy Spirit, when he fills our life, he actually brings, in the truest sense, true comfort and true joy and actually true courage. Not because one has been numb to reality, but because the Spirit actually reveals the greatest realities in life in Christ. The Spirit shines the truth of Christ into the human heart on a daily basis. And when a, and when a person is Spirit-filled, there can be then genuine comfort, joy, and courage, and love as well. And there is. That then leads to, well, in context here, we talked about it, worship and, and loving one another, which is a consequence of being filled with the Spirit. Now, here's why I wanted to come back to this. I wanted to come back to this because when one is being filled with the Spirit, which is a need that we have every single day, there's not only the comfort that the Lord is with me and a joy that, hey, He's working out all things for, the, for, for my highest good to His glory, and there's also courage because I know he's gone before me and his promises are true. But there is, there's love. And God is love. And love is always good. And it's always redemptive. And it's always right. And it's always healing. And the Lord's love actually continues to heal and rescue us and others through us as we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I want you to think of the context of interpersonal relationships real quick. I just want to insert this really quick. Because the likelihood, and we've talked about this before many times, the likelihood of friction or challenge or tension in interpersonal relationships, in your marriage, with your children, with your grandchildren, with, with church family members and stuff, the likelihood that there's going to be tension and friction is really high. Uh, how many of you believe that? Raise your hand real quick. I mean, that's just life itself. Why? Because there's a lot of moving parts to life. Communication is not easy. And generally, when there's tension or friction between you and another human being, generally, and I'd even say like up in the 90 percentile, it's not because that person has intended to be malicious, he's intending to hurt you and so forth. Watch this. You talk about the importance of love. See, love is being under the control of the Lord rather than being driven by arrogance or reactive anger. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says that love suffers long and is, can someone tell me, is kind. And we've talked about this before. Just check this out. In interpersonal relationships, when there's tension and friction, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm out of my comfort zone here. Here's what love look like, looks like. It retreats in suffering rather than being reactive in anger or reacting out of misinformation or ignorance, it retreats. And then it advances in kindness. 
And it's actually between the retreat and the advance that's the greatest learning curve in our life. So you think, you know what, that, that person, I, I don't think they intended to cut me off. They just had a blind spot there, you know. And, and, I, and I, you know, I, I just, I kind of read that situation wrong. You know, they, they looked so angry, but little did I know that they were in pain or something like that. And they were on medication. Or, but hey, I'm never going to learn those things unless I learn to retreat. Love suffers, can someone tell me? Long. I mean, the elephant in the room with regard to love and interpersonal relationships, it's like, it's instead of under the control of circumstances or under control of ignorance or under control of just, oh boy, this is uncomfortable. I'm actually under the control of the Lord himself. Can I hear an amen to that? How does this apply? Because we're going to receive communion this, this morning. How does this apply when we hold the bread and the cup and I, I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians 11. I'm almost done. Thank you for your patience. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Well, here's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us, as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, He wants us to take a fresh look at the greatest reality of all. And that is who He is and what He accomplished. He wants us to look back afresh At the cross where Jesus hung, bled, gave his life on the cross. You talk about suffering long and kind. And then to look forward to the crown because everything is moving towards him. In fact, if you look at verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's, everybody say the next word, the Lord's death. That's the cross. His death till... He, everybody say it, comes. So look up here, watch this. So here we are, we are living, you know, between the cross and the crown. And and here we are, 2014, in the moment. And he wants us afresh, like filled with the Holy Spirit today. He wants us afresh to look back and, and to remember what he accomplished for us. Us, how he paid the debt of every stinking sin we've ever committed. And in his resurrection, through his death and resurrection, he's given us power actually over what would pull us down. Whatever that habit may be, or whatever that tendency may be, he's actually given us power over sin as well. Now, you don't have to show your hand at this time, but how many of you actually believe that? Because here's the thing. I mean, he wants us to believe that. Now, he wants us to totally afresh believe that. I mean, every day we need to be being filled with the Spirit every day. I just need the Lord to just recapture my heart. And he wants to recapture your heart with with his love. It's like you look back at the cross. Seriously, that's a love rescue. It's a redemptive love rescue. You look at the future. He's coming at the darkest time in human history. The earth, our Jewish friends, the world, they don't have a greater friend than Jesus because he's going to come at the darkest time in human history. And he brings a rescue, if you will, of justice and righteousness. He establishes his reign on planet earth and he invites us to be a part of it. And it's only in him. It's only in relationship with him. But see, look, in doing this afresh, we celebrate Right now, the Lord's rescue on the cross and his love rescue in the future. And, and it has, 
major implication to, to right now in my life because he's continuing to sanctify us and heal us and change us and grow us right now. And so when you hold the bread, which he says here in verse 24 is symbolic of his body, and when you hold the cup, in verse 25, symbolic of his blood, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Listen, you see this time as, Lord, I, I, I am doing this like in between your death and when you return, the cross to the crown, and afresh this morning, I, I am saying, recapture my heart. Fill me afresh with the spirit of the living God. Continue your healing and rescue in my life. And you know what? You know what that may involve for some of us here? It may involve, well, as he goes, in, in, there in Galatians, it's like, okay, we live in the spirit. We've got to walk in the spirit. So it's like the Lord's looking for some cooperation here. Maybe there's a sin you need to confess. You know, maybe there's something deep down inside that really hasn't been brought to the surface that needs to be. And you need the Lord's assurance of forgiveness and power over that sin. Well, allow the Holy Spirit to work that in your life at this time. I just think it's interesting, you know, when Jesus, that last Passover meal, called the Last Supper, but it's really Passover. It was a time that Judas, I mentioned here, Judas betrayed him and you know, Judas never said, Father, your will be done in my life. And he was just, he had his own agenda. But, but the Judas it could, factor, it could be said, was purged. Was, he was purged at Passover. I mean, he was identified. The betrayer was identified. And it's like the Lord, the Lord wants to identify those realities that, that are perhaps betraying you, sin in your life, to afresh know his forgiveness and power over that sin. And just ask him, Lord, look, look I, my identity is in you. When I eat of that bread, I, I, it's saying I'm one in Christ and actually one with the body of Christ as well. And when I drink of the cup, it's like you've forgiven me and not only have you given me power over sin in my life.